Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. How are you? My name's Johan. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time with us, I am sorry. <laughs> For more reasons than one. Uh, last night we had our volunteer appreciation party, uh, PPC, right? <laughs> Planning party committee. Um, <laughs> it was not my idea to wear this wig, by the way. This is not my real hair, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> I was kind of forced to, but didn't have to twist my arm too hard. Um, but as I was thinking about everything that was done, um, not just for last night, but just so church can happen here. Um, I am so humbled um, and even ashamed because if we're being honest, like us guys don't deserve you. Um, we, we just don't. Um, and I'm just blown away. And so, yes, I, I decided to go ahead and um, wear the wig this morning. And if I could take away two things from the volunteer appreciation party, it's this. One, it is easier to sing along with God's music than it is YMCA. That, that's one. Um, Grace and Jacqueline, I'm sorry. Um, they, they were my counterparts and they were great sports. And I don't know if you had fun or if you were uh, super discouraged, but I had a blast. Um, and I hit my, my move goal for the day. Just kidding, the bar's pretty low. But that, that's the one thing, right, right. The second thing I've learned is this. Hair is overrated. Um, Sorry, fellas. <laughs> and I am uh, very glad to get that off. My gosh, man, hair is hot. You guys just don't know. Just need to shave it. Okay, so welcome to Rest Church. Um, and I am so excited today. And before I get into my notes, before we get into the sermon, before I get into the intro, um, two things. One, I have never felt more prepared and less prepared at the same time. And even though I've struggled with some messages, I have never had a fog that was so heavy prepping for this thing. You know, a week ago, it was a fog that was so heavy that I couldn't see. I, I, like, literally, I could not see. Um, but this morning, the message to the four chapters in the book of Jonah couldn't be more clear. And if God is willing, I pray that he would speak through me this morning so that you can see what he has shown me because it's, it's mind-blowing. So, 
First things first, um, Merry Almost Christmas. I love Christmas, the Christmas season, uh, the music, everything. Um, maybe this shows my age, but you know, growing up, music was a big part of, uh, of a guy's life, right? Um, you know, not only did your vehicle represent who you are, but so did your music. Well, I have Christmas music going. What does that say about me? I mean, I could see my wife doing that, but me, I'm, I roll with Christmas music and I'm fine with it. I like it. So anyway, uh, next week, if there is a question that you have, um, if we're going to have service next week, yes, we are. It is going to be an abbreviated service. So be sure that you come. You can wear your jammies. Uh, I won't because mine are not flattering at all. Uh, But please just just come as you are. Come be comfortable. We're going to do just an abbreviated service um, and just spend Christmas together. So Okay, so let's get right into this thing. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you the overall message. And then after I give you the overall message, we'll talk a little bit. And what we'll do is we will talk about all of the main points of the 12 weeks today included on the book of Jonah. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at this whole picture, wrap it up with the two verses that we have in an end, and put a bow on this thing. That's fitting. It's Christmas. Okay, so... Okay, so the overall message of Jonah is so much more than someone running away from the call to ministry. So much more. The story of Jonah is much more of each of us running from the calling to speak of God to those in our everyday lives. I'm pausing to let that sink in. It is, story, it is a story much more of Jonah, but more of us running from the calling to speak of God to the people in our everyday lives. So, Jonah the prophet, he has had some ministry success with the Lord, obviously, and he has walked with the Lord for a good portion of his life. He already knows the kindness of the Lord. He knows his power to save, comfort, to heal, and to judge. He already understands that the Lord is Israel's protector and strong tower, her king of glory who is worthy to be praised. So when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, he is less like someone who does not want to answer the call and more like someone who does not want to talk to people in this evil generation about the goodness of our God. I mean, how many people is that speaking to? That's me. (laughs) And it's the Christmas season. When do we want to talk to people the least? Get out my way. I need to purchase that product for Jesus' birthday. I'm going to need you to shut up and just ring me up, please. Okay, great, great. Bless you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay. Did I hear it so true over here? That's right. Man, I'm telling you, like, this book has wrecked me. Man, I'm getting off topic. Hopefully that comes back later, that thought. Okay. So... Jonah is not the person only a few of us that can identify with. He is the person who has experienced the grace of God but fails to tell others about it. All of us can. All of us must relate to Jonah. He is a rebel against the Lord's word. Now, this isn't like a lifelong thing for him because this dude is a prophet of the Lord but he's a rebel against his word. Which calls all of us to tell others about the great and loving king. 
When we are slow to tell people about Jesus or don't tell people at all, we are doing exactly what Jonah did. We are rebelling against the Great Commission. If we keep this up, we may just find ourselves on that same ship, moving away from the presence of the Lord. Guys, I was on this ship years ago. I'm going to go ahead and read this. God can send a storm on one's income. He can hurl a wind on one's health. He can crush your grades, your scholarships, and your dreams in school. I'm living proof that that happened. When, he, when we rebel, he can and will do whatever it takes to get us to return to him or even take us out of this present life in our disobedience. That is so true. And it's not out of anger that he's doing these things. It is for your good. It is for my good. So shifting the focus from the deliverer to the recipient, Jonah is a story of radical grace. So you take the leak, lightly candidate of that grace, and you see a city filled with evil and with evil people. And he, God goes through great lengths just to be sure that they hear his word. Okay. Applying this, live, applying this to our lives today, God's message remains the same. The same message that Jonah had. And God's love remains the same. So to this evil generation, to this evil places, how will they know to repent unless someone tells them? And this verse comes to mind right off the bat, Isaiah 6, 8. The Lord, I heard the Lord, the, the, voice, the, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. How many people can say that today? Can I say that today? Here I am, Lord, send me. This is easy because I'm speaking to believers. But when I go out, well, I still say, here I am, Lord, send me. Like, I'm, I'm being completely transparent with you guys. Because when I get out of here, I get busy. I don't have time for this. Um, I may even be blunt. I try to be understanding, but I may even be blunt with people. Not as blunt as Cody, um, but plenty blunt. He's over there chuckling. He knows. But man, when I go out, I just want to do what I need to do, and I just want to go home. Father, I'm sorry. Okay. So let's, keep, let's recap each message. And what it's going to do, um, and if you guys know me at all, I can be very short-winded. And so, and I knew what I was going to be preaching. There was a little bit of shuffling, but I knew. Um, I'm like, oh, wow, cool. I got two verses to preach on. Two. <laughs> Thankfully, it's the end, so I can, I can wrap everything in. <laughs> okay, so before we do, I don't want you to look at this as just a biblical account that you're studying about something in, in history past that happened, but also use it for instructions for your life today because this is so relevant, so relevant. And if you do hear this word through the book of Jonah, it is gonna punch you in the face. Like, 
It's gonna punch you so hard. Like if you look at me, if I took my glasses off, I'm not going to. I've got two black eyes because I've been told twice. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Man, I got those for days. Summer, I'm so sorry. If it ain't a dad joke, it's not funny. I'm sorry, it's not. Okay, so here we go with this full recap. Keep up. Well, I actually have slides that are going to be back here to help you. Don't worry about taking notes because hopefully I'll go a little faster than that. But so we've got this, this really cool breakdown, and it starts off with sovereign descent. So in week one, we talked about the prophet. The main point was this. We all got a little bit of that run, that Jonah in us. So if you want to run from God, you will always find a ship to get you there. I've been on that ship. So, so in, that, in that message, you know, God calls Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, to New York City, to Paris, to Las Vegas, to Paducah, and to call out their sin. And instead, he jumps on a ship headed in the opposite direction. Week two, the storm. The main point was not every storm that shows up comes from God, but God will use every storm to redirect us to himself. Amen. God straight up, fresh prince of Bel Air's Jonah's getaway plan and flip turned it upside down. Man, I had to practice saying that. We clearly have some 90s, like late 80s, 90 folks in the house. Thank you. There we go. There we go. So God sends a storm that threatens to destroy the boat and everyone on it. The mariners learn it is all because of Jonah. Yet, instead of um, getting rid of him, they try to save themselves, including Jonah, but they can't. So Jonah concedes and asks to be thrown into the sea, which they finally do, and the raging storm ceases. The fish, week three. The things that consume us are are actually God's rescue plan for our lives. So Jonah, as he sinks into the depths of the Mediterranean, God appoints a great, fri- a great fish to swallow him, to consume him. So Jonah takes up his new residence for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And so now the next three messages, uh, the overall theme is the sovereign to save. Week four, petition. So the way up, The first time is sometimes down. From the stomach of the fish, Jonah has nowhere to run. He begins to pray. Week five, provision. Jonah initiated separation, but God initiated restoration. Jonah nears death as a result of his poor decision. Whether he died only to be resurrected or made it to the doors of death, Jonah prays and God listens. Week six, praise. The main point, Jonah may be helpless, but he is not hopeless. God miraculously spares his life and spoke to the fish who then vomited him on dry ground. Sovereign despair, the next three weeks. Sent again. God might be angry at your rebellion, but he is never angry at your return. So round two, Jonah receives the same call with the same message. This time, he obeys. And his message is this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
That may have been all we ha- he had to say. I don't know. Uh, I've really thought about this because like, this place is huge. This is the largest city in the world at this time. And he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I don't know if they knew that this dude was in the belly of a fish and got vomited up, and so that caused them to listen. I don't know if this is a summation of the message that he brought, but what I do know is this. The people listened, which brings us to week eight, born again. Who knows what God might do with a heart that's fully surrendered to him? The people of Nineveh respond from the greatest to the least. They pick up what Jonah puts down, And they show tremendous humility and repentance. Week nine, gracious again. So the heart of God moved towards mercy, but the holiness of God demands justice. God sees the humility and the repentance of the people and relents from the disaster that he's going to send. Which brings us to the final three messages, sovereign to scold. And this is the part that I don't want to say ate my lunch. That's an old thing to say, but man, it it ate my lunch. Like, it destroyed me inside. Grace given, week 10. God cannot be tamed on the leash of our expectations. So God gives grace to the people of Nineveh because of their repentance. And Jonah has a Job moment. He tries to explain to God why he feels Nineveh should not be saved. I just don't understand why some of these people just don't want to, want to just, just want to shut up. Hey, God, listen, this is why I really feel that you should not save them. He's like, okay. But he tells God, yes, I know that you are gracious and merciful, but I don't think they deserve it. That's why I got on the ship. Who knows, Jonah may have had every right to feel this way. He may have had every right from a human perspective, but God's ways are not our ways. He shows grace and compassion to the undeserving. Week 11, grace taken. God broke Jonah's comfort in order to build Jonah's character. Jonah builds a booth to give him shade while he waits and he watches as this destruction he's hoping is coming to Nineveh. He wants to see it. So he's sitting there and it's hot. So God appoints his plant to grow over him and to provide him shade while he waited. The next day, he sends a worm to kill the plant, and then he sends a scorching wind to teach Jonah a lesson. Jonah was concerned about the plant. God was concerned about the people. And Jonah, like any prophet of God, certainly wanted to grow in character, and he wanted God to help him. But to Jonah, it seemed as God was pursuing him with disappointment and disaster. And all along it was God's grace. So today, we're in week 12. Sovereign to scold, grace explained. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Jonah 4, 5 through the rest of the chapter uh, to really look at the whole thought. And then what we'll do is we will uh, get right into this. So please pull up Jonah uh, 4, verse 5. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he 
should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And then the last two verses of Jonah. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I pity Nineveh? Or and should not I pity Nineveh? This is God speaking. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And the book of Jonah stops. When that stopped, and I'm reflecting on the entire book, man, this is God's grace in action. I told Adam this last night. You know, the, the scriptures is broken up into two dispensations. You have the dispensation of law, and you have the dispensation of grace. And from a thousand foot view, if you're not careful, you look at just anger and do's and don'ts and punishment in the Old Testament. But man, when you really delve into this thing, it is so filled with stories of God's grace. And this is one of them. Man, this is God's grace in action. And the cool part, um, you know, if we're being honest, when we think of the, the book of Jonah, what's the first thing we think of? A fish. And that Jonah got swallowed by the fish. Not even realizing that it's a story of grace for both the believer and the lost. Lord, speak through me. So the book of Jonah is an account of a nervous breakdown of one of God's prophets, not some new convert, a story of spiritual conversion. And it asks some deep questions, and it's invited us to work through those questions alongside Jonah. Jonah points us to Jesus. As Jonah was cast into the depths of Sheol because of his own sin, yet he was brought out alive, it reminds us of the death of Jesus for the sins that weren't his and the resurrection that is shared with us. It's a compelling story that all, it, that's all led up to this final text. And here's last week's object lesson of the plant, the wind, and the worm applied. And the question we must ask is, what's the lesson? What does the book of Jonah teach us? So as we wrap this up today, not, not the message, the book. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a call up yet, guys. <laughs> uh, you guys wish. Um, We'll find this out together, our main truth, and hopefully when we leave, we'll carry this with us. The main point of the message today is this. 
pausing for effect. There it is. If God's grace can change Jonah, it can change anyone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this group of people here. I thank you for uh, just the opportunity to come here before you. I want to thank you for your scriptures, Father, and and the, the word that you have for us, the instruction that you have for us. God, I pray that through this message today that lives would be changed, including mine. I pray that this would not fade. God, that you would keep it strong. God, use this time to bring glory to yourself, to help the believer, and to draw the lost today. God, thank you. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay, so as we exposit this, God sends a plant for shade as Jonah's outside watching the city, we know, and then he sends in the worm. What he's trying to do is he's trying to teach Jonah a character lesson, but Jonah's not getting it. And if we're being completely honest, I didn't either um, for a while. So let's read verse 10 again. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and perished in a night. I mean, this dude is bent out of shape over this plant. Uh, the New Living Translation says that, uh, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came, quick, came quickly and it died quickly. And the message says this, God said, what's this? How is it that you can change your feeling from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted, you neither planted nor watered it. It grew up in one night and died in one night. This will make sense in a minute. So God presses in on that analogy between the plant and Nineveh saying, dude, you had pity on the plant, that air conditioning system that I sent to bring you comfort. So what God is trying to do, he is trying to show out this emotional attachment that Jonah has to this plant. Not one that he has nurtured, not one that he's pruned, it just popped up. And this guy's been out of shape. As are we. Um, so he had pity in the plant. What is pity? Pity is an emotion. Pity is a feeling. An emotion can be, really, can be a really good thing. So God created you for the capacity for emotion. It can be used for his glory and for your good. 
They can prompt us to follow him. Jesus had emotions. Jesus wept. Jesus had compassion. Jesus was overcome with sorrow. God has thoughts and plans and feelings and desires, but they're all holy as he is holy. The difference in our emotions and God's, at least in one way, is that our emotions are corrupted by sin while God's are not. Sometimes our emotions lead us to follow God, and then here it comes. And sometimes they lead us to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish. Sometimes they are reflections of God's heart, and sometimes they're mere distortions. So Jonah, in this situation, he's caught up in his feelings. He has strong emotions. So instead of using him as a gauge, he is using him as a guide. Your emotions should report to you, not dictate you. And I'm speaking to me, Johan. My emotions should report to me. They should not dictate what I do. It's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, so here's a weird thought. So let's say that an off emotion rises up in you. What you should do is you should take that thought and you should put it into a little prison. Take that thought captive. So while that thing is in prison, you're going to run it through God's word. Or if you've got this little issue, you're going to get with godly friends and put your heads together. So if it is something that is untrue, you put it to death. You rebuke it. Because if you do not take that captive, you better believe that it will make a captive of you. And the sad part about that is, if you are letting those emotions dictate your actions, sin is a result. Always. And do you ever sin alone? Never. The sinful choices that we choose to act on will affect not only you, but those around you every single time. So, this is what continuously, continually led Jonah down the wrong path. He is so caught up in his discomfort that he's not thinking about the city. You, me, we do exactly the same thing. We get so caught up in what we're feeling. I mean, let's be honest. Like, show of hands, like, who gets bent out of shape over their feelings? I know that I do. We do the same thing. We get so caught up in what we're feeling, what's going on around us, that we miss the whole picture of what God is trying to do in our lives. Our feelings can't tell us where to go. They help, us to, they help to direct us, but they must not lead us. They must not lead us. Man, and I'm telling you, <laughs> if we do the same thing that Jonah did, a whale is going to come, and it's going to destroy us, and then we're going to get to repeat the class again. So, our feelings can't tell us where to go. 
They can help to direct us, but they must not lead us. So God's like, dude, Jonah, man, like you didn't even make this thing and you feel sorry for it. So Jonah had no personal investment in the plant. As God said, you didn't labor, make it grow. The plant didn't need any thought from Jonah. It didn't need any planting or pruning or watering or work. God gave this to him by his grace. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. It sprung up in a night and it died in a night. It was a temporal gift. Jonah did not earn the right to enjoy it. The plant was created by God, taken care of by God, and it was sustained for Jonah. So Jonah received this plant as a pure act of grace. So why should Jonah feel bitter about the same grace going to the Ninevites? God is rebuking Jonah for preaching to his city and not loving it. So he went and preaches to a city, a message of salvation. The city responds, and then what does he do? He makes a shelter. He pulls up a chair to watch the destruction that's coming, to watch it burn. So we too, talking about the plan, are the recipients of the same grace. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. You know, God is never predictable when his mercy or judgment shows up. Yeah, right? When the sailors and the king went, perhaps God will, they meant it. We just, we can't just learn God's algorithm and know when this thing is going to show up, much less manipulate it when we want, or manipulate it to get what we want, or even what we feel is right. So the, the Apostle Paul understood this. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 and 11, he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and you believed. So it is God's grace with no strings attached. If God gives us grace with no strings attached, should we not equally extend that same grace to others? I'll say that again. If God gives us grace with no strings attached, should we not equally extend that same grace to others? So God is saying, Jonah, like, like, I'm only trying to liberate you from the things that are enslaving you and driving you and controlling you. Don't you see that I've wrecked you to reshape you? And so God asked Jonah to take, a, to take spiritual inventory. Verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The New Living Translation says this, but Nineveh had more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such great a city? The message. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city 
of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong to say nothing of all the the innocent animals. Now, again, Jonah is sitting there waiting for the destruction that's coming to that group of people and those animals, but he's been out of shape out of a plant. Justice and grace are uneasy friends. So God asked Jonah to take some spiritual inventory with a pointed question, a pointed question, should I not pity Nineveh? Here God is demonstrating to Jonah what he feels is important, pity. God is a God of compassion and his pity for this great city. The point to Jonah was, Jonah, you care more about the plant, a temporary thing, than you do about the greatest city in the world at this time that's filled with more than 120,000 eternal beings people. So we can interpret this, this last verse two ways. So the city of Nineveh is filled with 120,000 small children. If you look this up, you'll see the same thing. That means, or what he means by the saying is like they couldn't tell their left hand from the right. So if you do the math, 120,000 small children, you're going to conclude that there's about 600,000, uh, between 600,000 and a million people in the city. That's a lot of people to be callous towards. That is a lot of people for Jonah just to say, hey, you can go ahead and go to hell. It's like God pointing out all of the children here going, okay, Jonah, if you don't care about the adults, maybe you'll care about the kids. Like, don't you even have any compassion on them? That was interpretation one. Interpretation two. The city had 120,000 spiritual children who couldn't spiritually tell their left hand from their right. Either way, it's clear that Jonah loves the plant more than the people. So the book of Jonah concludes with this compelling implication. Jonah, if you don't care much about the adults of Nineveh, maybe you care about the children. If you don't care about the children, maybe you at least care about the cattle. I mean, I'm trying to find something here. This is pure irony. This is God leading Jonah to take inventory on his compassion for the lost. This is God working on me to take inventory on my compassion for the lost. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to speak to a stranger? I don't know. So... Focusing on us, let's take an inventory of our compassion. Like, do you actually care about the lost? I mean, does your life reflect this? Does mine? The reason many times we don't care is this. We are too occupied with plants in our lives. Materialistic, materialistic pursuits. Whether that be your job, um, your sports, Whatever. We're too occupied with the plants in our lives. So, reaching the lost is the heart of God. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is why Christ came, 
Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So I go back to Isaiah. The Lord says, like, who will go from me? Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. We need to remember this, that every time we become indifferent towards the lost, God will always prepare a worm or a wind to remind us of who he is and what he's about. Do I really care about the lost that are around me? It's not just enough to be obedient to God like Jonah was, but do you have compassion for the people in your obedience? Jonah cared more about addressing his discomfort than he did about the deliverance of Nineveh. So, when God says, should I not care about Nineveh, think of it this way. The Lord's concern for the people of this great city of Nineveh is deep. It is so deep. His care is a term indicating that he has tears in his eyes for them. Now, we're not talking about righteous people that haven't heard the gospel. We're not talking about people that are living good lives. We're talking about murderers. We're talking about thieves. We're talking about rapists. We're talking about the most selfish people that you could ever think of, terrorists. And God is looking at them with such care that his, his eyes are welling up with tears. And what does Jonah do? Hey, I'm, I'm going to deliver the message Okay, I'm, I'm going to obey. I'm going to deliver the message. I hope they don't listen because I want to watch them burn. Do you, can you guys see the two black eyes that I have now? Because as we're going through this, I mean, this is beating me up because it's me. I'm sorry. So... The Lord's concern for the people of the great city of Nineveh is deep. His care is a term indicating he has tears in his eyes for them. Wow, shift that train of thought to you. Think about your past with your depth of sin, not as you being Jonah, but you being a Ninevite. Think about your past. Whoops. When I think about my past, I am deserving of nothing good from him. Nothing. Yet that fish came and it consumed me and it spat me out. Hopefully you too. So, so shift this train of thought from Nineveh to you. Think about your past and the depth of your sin when there is nothing about you worthy of God even looking your way, he cares about you in the same way that is described as having tears in his eyes for you. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. For if while we were enemies, he's looking at you with tears in his eyes. So, so we know that Jonah ran away from God, but he did eventually go to Nineveh, and he did preach, yet in his anger he withdrew. And he sat outside the city in hopes of watching its destruction. So we got to ask the question, did Jonah fail in the end? 
the book of Jonah seems to end with a cliffhanger, we really don't know. We're never told how the prophet responded to God's final appeal, but I think we can propose ultimately how Jonah responded because of this. How do we know that Jonah was so defiant, rebellious, and clueless? How do we know that he made that unbelievable, I hate the God of love speech? How do we know about this prayer inside the fish? The only way that we could possibly know any of these things is that Jonah told someone else, Jonah revealed that he had a limp. Dude, what are you talking about? Jonah had a limp. For all of you OT scholars, do you remember anybody else that had a limp? Or should I say was given a limp? Okay. So a close look at the book of Jonah, especially the end, kind of echoes uh, a story from Genesis 32. So you have Jacob, Jacob and Esau, right? So Jacob and Esau are brothers who are separated and they're actually looking at coming together. And then during this time, Jesus, the third person of the Trinity, comes up and actually wrestles with them. And there's some things in the scripture, I mean, I'm sure I don't understand correctly, but so you have Jesus like, man, like, listen, like, this dude's pretty good. Like, we got a little Cody Walls I'm wrestling over here. Um, and he's like, in order for me to win, what I'm going to do is, boop, I'm going to touch his hip, and now that dude's got a limp. So what I'm trying to say is this. So um, J- Jacob wrestled with God, right? He's like, dude, like, we're going to have to work this out, like, man to man, right? Jacob comes in, I keep wanting to say Jonah, but Jacob comes in thinking that he's right. And the God's like, nah, bro, I appreciate that, but you're wrong. Um, Now you have a limp that you're going to walk with the rest of your life. So Jacob wrestled with God. And he's got this limp. This is something visible that everyone can see. So as we are going through our spiritual lives, We've got to be suspicious of people that do not have that limp. Trying to give you spiritual advice. It's that wrestling with God that turns knowledge into godly wisdom. But also wrestling with God, it can be painful. And it can leave us with a limp. You know, you can have truth. And you can have pain. But when you take that truth and you combine that pain, that wrestling with it, that's when growth comes. So Jonah, like Jacob, has a limp. There's physical evidence of the struggle with God. So, so you ask, like, like dude, I, I just read all four chapters. I don't see Jonah's limp. Well, Jonah didn't try to... Um, show that he came out the other side. Hey, you know what? Hey, God, I was wrong. You know, like, hey, you're right. He's like, no, that's okay. Like, this is where this story is supposed to end, and it makes me look like a fool. But it's for a purpose. And that is Jonah's limp. So, going back to Jonah, like, what sort of guy would let the world see that he has a limp 
what kind of guy would let the world see what a fool he was. Only somebody who joyfully, who become joyfully secure in God's grace and love. Only someone who knew he was simultaneously sinful, yet completely accepted. In other words, Jonah was someone who had, who had found in the gospel of grace the very power of God. And so the question, what is the lesson that the book of Jonah teaches us? What do we learn from Jonah? The answer is this. We learn that a real relationship with God is not one-sided. It's got to be two. All, a real relationship with God does not require me to hide my feelings and my doubts. It provides space for all of me to show up. The whole parts and the broken ones. And that's some really good news because I've got a lot of feelings of doubts and brokenness inside of me. Like, it is okay to step outside the Christian mold and to go to God. It is okay to think. So... So in this wrestling, there's that space of grace where God invites us into that ring to remind us again of that main point for today's message. If God's grace can change Jonah, it can change anyone. It can change anyone. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the book of Jonah. I'm so thankful for showing me the message in it. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to speak uh, to these people here this morning. God, Lord, help us respond to that call the first time. Lord, if you look at my heart right now, you know that I don't want to pray for a fish. I don't want to ask for something to consume me for my good. Let me, let us hear you the first time and respond in obedience and not just have obedience, but to have true compassion. And let your words not fall on deaf ears. To the people from Nineveh that we run into on a daily basis. May you through us be a beacon of hope. Thank you. All right. Amen. So out of the way. Okay, so God's calling through the book of Jonah is twofold. He is calling the believer to see others through his compassionate eyes. And if we're being honest, at least at times there's a little bit of Jonah in us. So are you letting your emotions be your gauge or your guide? 
Sure, maybe some people don't deserve God's mercy, grace, and salvation, but did you? Did I? Are you running from God? Are you letting your emotions cloud your judgment? He will go to great lengths to get your attention. Lengths that, trust me, folks, you do not want to endure, but he will see that you do. Do you have God's heart when you're doing the things that he has called you to do? Are you compassionate when you're speaking with the lost? So believer, are you running from God and the place that he's called you to in life? Are you supporting? If that's not you and he's placed that call on your spouse, on your loved one, or your friend, are you supporting them? Or are you bringing them down? Believer, let's not be Jonah and let's follow God's lead the first time. To those of you who are lost and you know who you are if you're here today, you are a Ninevite and God is calling for your repentance. He is calling you to turn from your ways. Yes, you do not deserve God's mercy, grace, and salvation, but who does? Who does? Do you not see the extreme lengths at which he goes to get your attention? Do you not see the number of times that he has sent someone to cross your path to speak to you? Do you not see the stone walls that you faced and the rock bottoms that you've hit with hopes that you would turn to him? The second, the third, the fourth, the fifth chance that he's given to you. You know, when you consider Jonah, God calls Jonah to speak to the lost. And Jonah runs, and he's like, bro, the lost need to hear because destruction is coming, and I don't want them to be destroyed. So what does he do? He works with Jonah. He builds up Jonah and sends them to a people that are lost because somebody needs to speak to them. So following the lead of the people of Nineveh, turn from your ways and turn to him this morning. Remember who we were when Jesus died for us. We were his enemy. When he was on that cross thinking about the souls that he was saving, those souls were his enemy. I was his enemy when he died for me. You were his enemy when he died for you. So respond this morning. It's this easy. Go ahead and uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you are here today listening to this message, this is not by mistake. This is not by chance. This was on purpose. If you do not know him as your personal savior, it is so easy. You don't have to clean yourself up before you meet him. You come as you are. And he will come into you and he will fight those fights that you have to fight for you. He comes into you and he makes you the way that he wants you. You enjoy him. You enjoy his grace. His salvation is mercy. It is so easy 
You simply say, Father, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in the Son that came, that died, resurrected, and is coming back to get me one day. It is that simple. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved this morning. This morning. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then when I do, I want some people to come down to the front, and I'll be here as well. If you need prayer, if you need Jesus this morning, there will be somebody here to talk to you. Make sure that we take care of the spiritual business this morning. Father, thank you again for all that you do. Thank you again for your grace, your mercy, and your salvation. Thank you for both pursuing me, pursuing us, at the same time as you're pursuing the lost. Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that is all of us. Thank you so much, Father, for what you've done and what you're doing.